Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. And I am not Brittany, so. You're not Brittany? No, I'm just kidding. I am Brittany. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, who are you today? <laughs> what did Brenda. you. Who are, who are you, and what did you do with Brittany? <laughs> no, just kidding. It's me. You guys couldn't escape me. <laughs> you say that like anybody would actually want to escape you. I don't know if you met my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually, and he seems to be perfectly happy. So I love him. He's so cute. Well, good. Hi, Chris. I hope you're listening. Yes. <laughs> All right. So today, uh, we mentioned in last week's episode that Brit was going to be leading this week's episode. But as we were researching, we realized that the well, I guess I can let you kind of explain what we happened. realized that was psych. <laughs> and that's what you get for assuming that we would be right and we knew what we were talking about because I got seven pages in last night on some notes and realized this case is way too big for a little bitty old me to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to end up actually being one of our bigger episodes where both of us are talking about it. So instead, we will be starting with me leading an episode. <laughs> Please keep in mind that I had some knowledge previously on this case because, like I mentioned, this happened relatively close to where I live. But I did a lot of this research like last night. So yeah, because I told her at like 830 that <laughs> I couldn't do this episode today and to find something. <laughs> Yes, so if I miss anything or if I have any incorrect information, please feel free to let me know or but to don't yell. Yes, be don't nice yell about it. Yes. Today we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Alexis Murphy. Bum 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 bum. Hey, I think I've actually heard about this. It's very possible. It got some pretty heavy media coverage. This case happened back in 2013, and around that time, there were actually a couple of other disappearances in the area as well. So, yeah, it's possible that you heard about this one. Oh, I also forgot to mention um, my grandparents. Hi, Mimi. I know you're listening. Um, she told me I cussed too much in the last episode, <laughs> so I'm going to try to say less F-bombs, but I cannot promise you. Love you. Okay, bye. To be fair, I was thinking as we were editing, I was like, we got a little too liberal with these F-bombs out there. But it, I mean, I the mean, first episode was unfortunately unlike, and the last episode <laughs> was fuck this and fuck that. So. Yeah, and and then for me, it's uh, and um, so, <laughs> and like, um, I cut out a lot of those as I was editing, but oh, the fact God. that there are so many of them still in the episode, that should let you know I say it <laughs> way too much. At least that's not like me. In the first episode, I was trying so hard not to say like, so I kept saying, unfortunately, like, we get it, Brittany, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> Let's be continue. Like it be like that sometimes. Guys, we got a new sponsorship. Yes. So Finder Seeker, uh, we're going to throw in a couple ads of them throughout our next couple episodes, but check them out. Um, we also are working on some collaborations with some other podcasters out there. So we've got that in the works. Thanks to Britt. Thanks. Yeah, I'm um, social media and... That's what I do, and I am very persistent in my emails, and I am just a, the social coordinator, and that is my job yes. and co-host. Yes. That's my job. <laughs> yes, and she does. Bria's the producer. I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> she does a very good job of it because I don't want to do that stuff. <laughs> All right. So. You can tell which one's the extrovert and which one's the introvert. <laughs> yes, and that's why we make a great team. <laughs> yeah. So... 
brief overview of the case. On August 3rd, 2013, 17-year-old Alexis Murphy disappeared. She was last seen at a gas station in Lovingston, Virginia. When Alexis didn't return home by midnight, the family decided to file a missing persons report and a search ensued. They found the car that Alexis was driving that night abandoned in a theater parking lot on August 6th, three days later. On August 11th, Randy Taylor was arrested in connection with her disappearance. Although Taylor was found guilty of her murder, Alexis's body wasn't actually found until just a couple months ago, December 3rd, 2020. Oh shit. <laughs> this case actually popped back up into the news pretty recently because they found her body in December. Um, they didn't make that news public until February to give the family time to grieve and to make burial arrangements and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so, so sad. a little bit of background. Alexis Tiara Murphy was born on June 5th, 1996 in Charlottesville, Virginia. She was one of four children. I believe she had three brothers and she lived in Shipman, Virginia in Nelson County at the time of her disappearance. So like I said, she was 17 years old. So she was a senior in high school. Um, she was the captain of her volleyball team. She had a very active social life and she had plans to go to college with a full scholarship for volleyball. Her family and friends described her as joyful, vibrant, athletic, stunningly beautiful, with an infectious personality and a warm heart. One of her last posts on her Facebook page told her friends uh, to keep hope alive. And so that's a phrase that the family has held on to throughout this whole process of trying to locate where her body is. Stop. I feel like when you hear in cases they have the last social media posts those are so like haunting it's very sad like chilling almost like oh my god and apparently alexis was like super active on social media as well me too girl so we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty details of the case like i mentioned on august 3rd of 2013 alexis went missing she was driving to lynchburg virginia which is about a 20-minute drive from her home to get her hair done for her senior pictures i believe she was uh, going to buy some hair extensions and lynchburg is actually where me and my family moved back in 2011 so when this case happened we had been in the area for about two years so that's where i kind of knew some of the information about the case previously because we lived in the community and so we had heard about it isn't that so creepy to know that you used to live there and then somebody goes missing yeah on the day that she went missing she had borrowed her father's car which is a white 2003 nissan maxima her grandmother was the first to discover that alexis hadn't returned home by her midnight curfew um, which she explained was very out of character for her she called her mother who was working the overnight shift and then her mother called her father, and the father was the one who insisted that they call the police. Once they filed the report, local police, with the help of state police, the FBI, and thousands of social media followers and friends all started to search for Alexis later that day. Dang, the FBI got involved? It was a very large response, and I'm grateful for that because it's like, if it's a missing persons report, you have a very short window of time I think that's the concept of the show. I think it's like 48 hours where if somebody disappears, you have that amount of time to find them before the inevitable conclusion is that they've probably died. Yeah, I was forced to watch that show when I was like eight. No, I'm just kidding. I was like 13. <laughs> I was about to say, if it was eight, you, that explains some things. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, I was 13, 14. I don't know. How old are you when you're in like fifth sixth grade uh yeah in sixth grade i would say probably like 12 13 ish I wasn't, let me let me reiterate because i don't want people to think that i was like tied to a chair <laughs> and they like forced me to watch the 48 hour show 
my dad would only watch that show because I think that was the only because I mean we didn't really we had cable but we had like the basic channels mm-hmm. you know and I think that was that and the walking dead interesting combination I mean <laughs> is it <laughs> well you're watching shows about kind of go hand in hand you're watching shows about the dead and then the undead <laughs> So, three days after her disappearance, police locate the car that Alexis had been driving in a movie theater parking lot in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is about a 40-minute drive in the opposite direction from Lynchburg. Nearby mall surveillance footage showed the car pulling into the parking lot around 10 p.m. on August 4th, which is the day after she went missing, Uh, but the video was too grainy for them to get a good look at who it was that was driving the vehicle. Isn't that always the case? Yeah, because it was also nighttime, plus I guess just video camera footage in general back then wasn't as good as it is today because it's constantly developing. Is it even good today? It depends. It depends on the type of camera you got. (laughs) But Oh yeah, look at Brie coming in here with her camera knowledge to be fair um most security camera footage sucks <laughs> yeah that's that's fair yeah that's a fair statement to make yeah because i mean if you want really really good camera footage from security cameras the technology's out there but it's more expensive and obviously and the police don't want to have to pay for it <laughs> because they want the more money in their pockets, I guess. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think most businesses are just going to choose the cheaper route. It's like they have cameras. I think they assume that just having the cameras in general is going to be a deterrent effect anyway. Then it won't really matter what the quality of the video looks like. That's fair. Police also find security footage of her getting gas at a Liberty gas station in Lovingston, Virginia, shortly before her disappearance. This is like the last known footage of Alexis was from this gas station. Um, Apparently this gas station was a place where local teens would hang out after school and on weekends, which, I mean, when you are in a small town, I guess that makes sense. There's not a whole lot of places that you can... (laughs) You can go and just hang out. That sits so well with me because I grew up in this teeny tiny town and there was nothing to do. And we had to go 20 minutes over to the next town yep. and there was still nothing to do because it was teeny tiny. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think I saw a meme going around where it's like, I live in a small town where you have to drive 40 minutes to get to town, which is only called town because it has a Walmart. <laughs> this wasn't even a town. It was considered a community and we don't have our own or we didn't have our own police station. And I don't think they do still to this day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where I used to live in Southern Maryland, I you had to drive basically 40, 45 minutes in any direction to get to a mall. <laughs> um, And fun fact, me and my husband bought our first house in a town, very small Smaller than the first town that I grew up in. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I want to move. Um, you just bought your house, miss. Uh, you're going to have to hold off on that for a little bit. Yeah, I know, I know. All right. In this security footage, it shows a man holding a door open for Alexis. And they made note of this guy because he had been in close proximity with Alexis in the footage. So he became a person of interest, mainly by proximity. And they made note of a very distinctive neck tattoo that he had, which was apparently of Daffy Duck for some reason. What? Yeah, I don't know. A Daffy Duck neck tattoo. Yeah. What kind of gang does that go with? <laughs> That's surreal question. The Daffy Duck gang. Yeah. Uh, so he had a Daffy Duck neck tattoo, and then he had a camouflage Chevy Suburban. So A camouflage Chevy 
suburban. Yes. I mean, what do you mean? It's I'm going to look this picture up. I Please hold. <laughs> so it's uh, I mean, keep in mind, this is in central Virginia. So it's uh, middle of, I guess, rural country in a sense. OK, they can still have fashion choices. <laughs> Well, if you see a picture of this guy, you will know that he was definitely not the fashionable type. Stop. I found his Daffy Duck tattoo. <laughs> Ew. Doesn't he, doesn't he look like the Crypt Keeper almost? Oh, he does. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> All right. So he had a camouflage Chevy Suburban. I think it was mostly like white, if I remember right, or like a tannish color. And then like there was a strip of camouflage towards the back where it was like mostly camouflage. That's the car that I saw when I was looking in some of the articles I was reading, but I don't know if that was actually his or not. Stop. I found a picture of it. Who does? I've got questions <laughs> and I need to talk to somebody because that is the ugliest damn car I've ever seen. Uh, I've seen plenty, but I also live. In- I have, but for the sake of this <laughs> For the sake of this It's case. the ugliest car yes. with the ugliest neck tattoo. Oh my God. I know. He, he made some choices. <laughs> That's that's putting I think that it was like a home tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think he did it? Got it professionally done, or do you think it was like? I don't know. I don't feel like he's the type to have gotten that done professionally. And if he did, he should probably get his money back. <laughs> oop. And a oop. <laughs> anyway. So in this footage, like I said, he was holding the door open for her. Um, so he became a person of interest. There's some other footage that they found from a different angle. I think this one was just facing towards like the parking lot and the main highway road. And it showed that the Suburban pulled out of the parking lot and started going northbound. um, And the Nissan followed right after. So we don't really know necessarily what happened, why she was going in that direction, what it was that must have been. I don't think there was footage of them talking, but. I think somebody testified later in trial that they had talked about something. Do you think, like, what was, do you know what her plans were where she was going after she left the gas station? Or where she was supposed to be going? So initially she was supposed to be going to Lynchburg and I believe they said it was for after school shopping because it was about to be, like, the school year was about to start. Um, She was going to buy hair extensions for her senior pictures um, and then also just after school shopping in general. And the direction she, like, left from the gas station was opposite, right? Yeah, the direction she went was the opposite of the direction she should have been going. Police found that Alexis's cell phone was pinging off of a cell phone tower that was about a mile north from that gas station. So they knew that she was somewhere in that general vicinity, mm-hmm. but they didn't necessarily know where. Um, so FBI and state police, they go to where the cell phone is pinging off of and they find an abandoned property. Um, there's a bunch of overgrown vegetation and abandoned house and all that kind of stuff. But they find that camouflage Chevy Suburban is hiding within the overgrown vegetation near the house on that property. So that's not suspicious. <laughs> that's not suspicious. That's not weird. Yes. So this is where we enter Randy Taylor. He meets them at the beginning of the property. The police officers made note of a camera sitting on top of his camper that was pointing out towards the driveway. So I guess it was supposed to be like a quote unquote security system. But he invites police in to talk, I guess, Um, And while the investigators are inside, they find some evidence. What kind of evidence? Keep in mind that they don't have a warrant at this point, so it's not like a deep dive, but they notice this like just on the floor or like while they're making like just a quick 
cursory look around the place, they find a diamond stud. Um, like it could have been either an earring or a nose piercing, which Alexis had. Um, they found a broken fingernail and they found a long black hair on his pillow. She had black hair? Um, she did, yes. Um, and so they send the evidence to the Virginia State Police for DNA testing, and it all comes back as a match to Alexis. Oh. It wasn't until after that that Randy admitted to having seen Alexis, and he claimed that she came to his camper with a man named Damien Bradley to get drugs. Did they find her dead at this point? Has she, like, her body already been found? No, her body was not actually found until pretty recently. So oh. at this point... They, so I don't think they presumed she was dead just yet, but they knew that something bad had happened. They thought maybe he was holding her somewhere or, mm -hmm. or something like that. He claims that she came with this guy named Damien Bradley to get drugs. So the police go to investigate Damien Bradley and Bradley says he knew of Alexis, but he had never met Taylor. And the weekend that she had gone disappear, not gone disappearing, the weekend that she had... <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not funny it's not funny the weekend she disappeared was a weekend when he was in alabama so he had a pretty solid alibi so because of the dna match and the false statements that randy taylor gave police they decided to arrest him for abduction like they made the decision they hadn't actually arrested him yet because they decided to basically use this information to secure a warrant and with that warrant they went back to the camper and did a deeper dive and that's when they found a t-shirt that was balled up underneath of the couch the t-shirt was stained with blood oh and it had black hair extensions and a set of artificial eyelashes Aww. the t-shirt was one that Brandy Taylor was seen wearing in the security footage at the gas station. And then the blood and DNA on the lashes and the extensions all matched Alexis. So at this point, they presumed the worst. They presumed that she was dead. And because on this property, like he lived near a river, they had dive teams searching the river. They had canine units searching the property. Um, basically, this search was very intense. Like I remember media coverage because it wasn't just the police searching. It was also friends and family were all searching and trying to find yeah. out any information they could about where what could have happened to her, where she might be. And the FBI was there. And so they found a sweater that they initially believed that might have been linked to Alexis and um, a bunch of cell phones as well. A bunch of cell phones. Yeah. So that was a little suspicious. I don't know. I don't think any of those specifically were actually linked to Alexis, but they did send them to Quantico for testing. Late pause. So is the FBI building actually in Quantico or is that like something that Criminal Minds just made up? So Quantico is basically where police officers go to train. Um, Another question. Yes. Where is Quantico? <laughs> it's in Northern Virginia. <laughs> okay. I thought it was Canada, no. which doesn't make sense now that I think about it because <laughs> the FBI is, a, you know, a USA thing. Were you thinking of Quebec, maybe? <laughs> Quebec? Yeah, Quebec. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking of um, Toronto. Oh, well, no. Which, it's not similar. Not at all. Uh, so continue. <laughs> Okay, so they did find Alexis's shattered cell phone about, I think, I saw 15 feet from the camper, and I also saw 70 feet. So somewhere in close proximity to the camper, they found her shattered cell phone. So obviously, Aww. they hadn't discovered the body, but they presumed that she was dead, based on all of yeah. this evidence. So... Finally, they arrest Taylor, and then the Commonwealth attorney at the time for Nelson County, Anthony Martin, charged Taylor with murder, even though they didn't have a body, which I guess hadn't really been done before. 
but he used precedent set by the Stephen Epperly case, which I am going to look a little bit more into, and we might cover that on another episode because that definitely seemed interesting. Bum, 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 stay tuned. Basically, he was uh, charged with abduction with intent to defile, uh, felony murder, and first-degree murder, and his trial began on May 1st, 2014, and it only lasted five days. It was scheduled to last two weeks. His trial only lasted five days. The trial only lasted five days. They had scheduled two weeks, but it only lasted five days. And then the verdict came back on the 8th. So they only, quote unquote, deliberated for like three days. Is there a reason it only lasted like five days or they just got done? Yeah, they're... I kind of address this a little bit when we start talking about, like, his appeals process. Okay, my fault, Um, my fault. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, So, basically, he was charged with all of these, and the verdict came back on May 8th of 2014, and he was convicted on all accounts, and he was sentenced to two life sentences. His defense attorney had tried to argue that there were still too many questions that were left unanswered for him to be found guilty of first-degree murder, because it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't have a body. You can't prove cause of death. Yeah, and also just the fact that he was still claiming that he was innocent, he had nothing to do with it. You also have no eyewitnesses, you don't have a victim. Yeah, and so... They tried to offer an alternative narrative to the events where they claimed that Randy Taylor had approached Alexis about where he'd be able to buy marijuana and that they'd met a month before and they had had conversations because she had noticed him smoking pot. I didn't get a whole bunch of details on this alternative narrative. It was only in That's the- kind of a weird alternative well, narrative. Not only is it weird, but I find it racist because Alexis is black. I was about to say, wasn't she wasn't she a black She was black seventeen year old? Yeah, she was a black seventeen year old and the guy he said that came with her to buy drugs, Damian Bradley, was also black and he had dreadlocks. Like that was something that he had said to police. He said that she had come with a guy a big guy who was black and had dreadlocks. And so it just seemed like he, it seemed racist to me personally, because it's like, I mean, black person, oh, must have a drug motive, you know? I I was about to say, does she like, do do we know, not that it matters, but did she do drugs? I didn't see anything that suggested that. Um, So one, you're just seeing this black girl who you think does drugs yeah two you don't even know if and who cares if she does partake in the smoking of marijuana but like you don't even know yeah you don't know her from john down the street yeah exactly so it was just it seemed very very targeted to me to go with that as the was was this like a racially motivated motivated attack that's the thing is that i don't think i i don't know because I, I didn't find a whole lot of information about Randy Taylor, but admittedly, I wasn't looking as much into Randy Taylor as I was looking into Alexis, just because I felt like with this okay. one, I wanted to focus more on the victim than on okay. him, because it just, it didn't feel right to focus more on him. Yeah, considering... Outside of this case, if that makes sense. We have a dead 17-year-old. Yeah. So, Taylor continued to insist that he was innocent um, until his sentencing on July 23rd, 2014, And that's when he tried to bargain for a lesser sentence by claiming that there was a third person involved. So he was basically saying, I didn't kill her, but I know where her body is located. And if you give me 20 years instead of two life sentences, then I will tell you where she is. 
what the fuck? Yeah. The family declined that offer because they said that, I think I wrote a quote here from her aunt. They said, we took a stand to make sure this person who did this to our family will never get a chance to do this to another family. If he was not convicted, he could have done this 10 more times. Rather than getting that closure of knowing where Alexis was, what happened to her, they prioritized him never hurting somebody else ever again. And I thought that was like, that's such a strong thing to do because I don't I can't say that I would have made that same decision. I was about to say, because either way, you can't blame the victim's family from either wanting to know where their loved one or in this case, their daughter's buried because... Mm -hmm. They didn't get to say goodbye. Exactly. Um, B, you can't fault them for wanting to lock him up mm-hmm. because he's who murdered their child. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if it was me, I would definitely want to know where my child was buried so I can have my last goodbye, yeah. lay them to rest. Yeah. Because, you know, when they, wherever they were buried, it wasn't peaceful yeah. by no means. Absolutely. Historically, putting this into context, um, this also happened around the same time that a couple of college-aged women disappeared at University of Virginia and in the Mm. Charlottesville area, which is where Alexis's car had been found. Hannah Graham and Morgan Harrington had disappeared. I believe there might have been one other one as well, but I, I didn't see the name. And so they thought for just a little bit, maybe they had gotten the wrong guy because the person who had been convicted of the murders of Hannah Graham and Morgan Harrington was Jesse Matthew. He was a large black guy with dreadlocks. So for a little bit there, they thought Um, maybe... Like maybe this guy who says his name is Damien was actually Jesse Matthew. Yeah. And so they... What ended up happening, I believe it was Taylor's defense team told them to test the DNA in the camper like other DNA that was found there and test it against Matthew's DNA to see if there was some way that they, could, yeah, yeah. they could exonerate him, which didn't make sense to me because it's like, if you know that he wasn't actually involved, why would you tell them to test the DNA? Because <laughs> Not to mention if it's Randy Taylor's camper and you found um, Alexis's DNA there. Yeah. Why would Jesse Matthew be involved if it's Randy Taylor's um, camper? Exactly. But going back to the defense, the alternative yeah. defense, um, it kind of reminds me of in the OJ case when his lawyer, uh, I forgot his name. Johnny Cochran. Johnny, um, when he used the, because there was a lot of race riots going on mm-hmm. uh, during that time when he used yeah him being a black man to his defense. It's kind of like reversing that scenario. They're using, I forgot his name. <laughs> Jesse. Randy Taylor. Yeah. And I, I could see that because it made sense in OJ's case. Like this is off topic, but I do want to say, I think OJ was guilty, but I do think that Mark, uh, what's his face, the police officer, he was definitely a racist piece of garbage i don't know enough about the oj case to like chime in here well that's fine that being said the trial should not have been derailed because that meant that nicole brown simpson and ron goldman did not get justice anyway okay back to thank you for coming to our ted talk (laughs) see you next week yes so pause that is one case i do actually want to cover oh we we can do that because i have plenty to say and I, Hell yeah. I, okay. I, I have I have a friend who also has plenty to say, so I will I'll reach out to her and see what, what she says. So anyway, the defense team decided to test Matthew's DNA against other DNA found in the camper, and it was not a match because obviously he was not there. But 
it was better to do the due diligence, I guess, and mm-hmm. fulfill these requests so that there wasn't a way that Randy Taylor's team could be like, oh, well, I'm going to file an appeal because you didn't do this. You know, you didn't rule, yeah, rule out that's all. Because the main job of the defense is to create reasonable doubt that their person is the one that committed the crime. The defense team is reasonable doubt to where they're not guilty, but the prosecution seems to prove that they are guilty in hindsight it doesn't always work like that we know how fucked up the justice system can be absolutely but that is actually in a way how it's supposed to work yes exactly i guess just a little bit more information on randy taylor and i guess why they decided that he was guilty other than the evidence that was presented um he had a criminal record dating back to when he was like 16 years old (laughs) and he had lied about that criminal record to a probation officer i think her name was vicky dowell because she had asked like was doing an interview with him and he lied about having any sort of criminal history even though he that makes no sense to me when people lie about their criminal history like uh you know we can just look that up yeah especially if it's on record (laughs) and it's your probation officer yeah and so let me just put that out there (laughs) so The criminal charges span multiple states, too. So Washington, Florida, South Carolina, Virginia and New Jersey. Um, The very first offense he had was uh, property crimes committed at 16, which led him to be in foster care for a year. The Nelson County Commonwealth Attorney Anthony Martin, he also said that the criminal past spanned four pages. (laughs) So it was a really long, it was a really long thing. Uh, Some of the charges that he had included assault, stalking, statutory burglary, grand larceny, arson, and brandishing a firearm. So in reality, it's not that surprising that he could have done this. Absolutely. And then attendants at the gas station, they were put on the stand and they said that he made them feel uncomfortable because he was a regular at this gas station apparently so he would park in the corner of the parking lot and watch people he would just sit there and watch for like over an hour they speculate that he was probably there ogling all the high school girls while he was doing it ew disgusting trash trash and then there was also what i think when they were investigating his camper they found a scrapbook that had pornographic images in it that had faces cut off of him and the faces were replaced with the photo of one of his co-workers daughters ew trash that's disgusting ew all of this combined it's like yeah you're you're a garbage person goodbye so not only is he a murderer he's a pedophile yes basically that's disgusting so He filed an appeal in December of 2014, um, because for those of you who don't know how the justice system works, you can't file an appeal until after you have been actually given your sentence because you get convicted at your criminal trial and then there's a sentencing hearing, which is where they give you your sentence. So that's why it took a while before he actually filed this appeal. For appeals, don't they have, don't you only get, like, sometimes you get no appeals, but sometimes you have so many appeals you can do? I think so. Um, so I know that the appeals process, basically, you can appeal to the lower courts and then you can keep appealing to the higher courts. And then you can technically appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States but there's no guarantee they're going to take your case. So like for something like this, they would probably would not take the case because it's just like, we have more important things to to make decisions on, you know? I think you get, if I'm not wrong, I think you get like so many appeals. I think so. And I think you can only go to the higher courts if you win the first appeal. I could be totally wrong, but I think that's how. So he filed an appeal on December of 2014 claiming that he didn't receive a fair trial 
and he had poor legal representation. So his reasoning, <laughs> yeah. So the reason for him saying he didn't receive a fair trial was because he claimed that the case should have been tried outside of Nelson County due to the high profile nature of the case, which I mean, yeah, I guess, but by that point, because like the FBI was involved and all that kind of stuff, like this had become bigger than Nelson County. So I don't think if they had moved it anywhere that he would have had more of a chance of. I don't know. That's kind of goes back. And I don't know who's heard of the West Memphis three cases, but the West Memphis three, they should have. I know one of them was outside of that county. Yeah. I think if it's a big profile case like this one Mm -hmm. and it's in the county that the crime was committed people are obviously going to have a lot more bias so i think i mean not saying that he's right but i think they should have moved it yeah because a this could have been an appeal and two because people are obviously going to be way more biased in that county that it happened than anywhere else not saying that you know like the jury was yeah i mean the jury should be unbiased anyways Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and in a way, I agree with him to an extent, but I also do think that even if it had been moved anywhere else in Virginia, he probably would have had the same outcome. Oh, 100%. He's guilty, 100%. Yeah. And the, the DNA evidence in his camper should have been what sealed his fate to begin with. Exactly. Um, and then his reasoning for saying he had poor legal representation was because the prosecutor had called nearly 40 witnesses throughout their time in the trial, whereas his defense they only like they rested after an hour. Yeah, that's why it, when it was originally scheduled to be two weeks long, it only ended up being five days. It was because the defense rested so early. <laughs> I guess he can say he had poor legal representation, or he could just own up to the fact that he did this Committed thing murder, and they really didn't have a whole lot to work with. <laughs> so his first appeal was denied in May of 2015. Then he did a second appeal to the Supreme Court of Virginia and was denied in February of 2016. Not only was he charged with the murder of Alexis Murphy, he was a person of interest in the disappearance of another woman back in 2010. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Hey, Brie, you know what I like to do when I'm bored? Uh, if it's not Finder Seekers, then I don't want to know. Of course it's Finder Seekers. Chris and I love getting our monthly box in the mail, and the instructions for the puzzle really help us figure out what we're doing. Having each box based on a different city each month, too, has been a great replacement for traveling this past year. And you know me, I love me some history facts. Right? And I love the box as something that me and my husband can do as like a date night type thing, you know, since we can't really go out right now. If you are interested in trying it for yourself, sign up for your monthly subscription at finderseekers.com. So that case, it's funny because I had no idea about this. So this this was brand new information for me. But there's the possibility of him still being charged for the murder of Samantha Clark, who is a woman who was 19 years old at the time that she disappeared from Orange, Virginia, which is about 28 miles from Charlottesville. And her body was also never found. So... Orange Police Chief Jim Fenwick confirmed that Randy Taylor was the last person to contact Samantha Clark before she went missing because they lived in the same trailer park at the time. Yeah. We might go more into details in this in another episode. Yeah, let us know, guys. Do you want to know about this this case, too? Yeah, because I didn't do a whole lot of looking into this particular case um, just because I didn't know about it until last night. So, yeah, I would be happy to go and look more into this case as well, because this I if there's the possibility of this being connected to Randy Taylor. I mean, yeah. 
let us know your thoughts on that guys yes um if he is convicted of that murder as well he could face the death penalty oh shit i have my thoughts about the death penalty i won't necessarily share them but i hope that if he was involved in that that he will let them know where samantha clark's body was because I, can, I can't imagine never knowing what happened to your loved one. Yeah. So over the past seven years, Alexis's family has had no, no answers whatsoever because Randy Taylor would not admit to having done what he did, didn't tell them where her body was. But like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, they found her body on December 3rd, 2020, because Randy Taylor, I guess, finally decided to tell them where she was located. Yeah. But the discovery itself wasn't made public until February of 2021 to allow Alexis's family a chance to mourn, to grieve, and to set up official burial... Arrangement. Yeah. And not have the public... Exactly. Because over the last seven years, um, there's been the Find Alexis Murphy Facebook page where the family and the local community have come together to try to find any sort of information they could find about where Alexis might have been buried, you know? That's so sad. I think that the family assumed to the worst as well. They just wanted to have some answers and to have some closure. And so now they have that. I think it's really hard once it becomes a certain time period to not assume the worst. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of these cases, it just shocks me. It doesn't shock me because I think it's a mother's instinct to know. I mean, I'm not a mother, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. But like, especially when mothers say they felt a certain feeling at the exact same time that their child was pronounced dead or their father, that like is such a chilling thing. Yeah, and that you hear that in a lot of... In a lot of cases, and it always it boggles my mind, especially when it's like twins too. There's just that strong connection between them. Yeah, my brother and sister are twins. <laughs> yeah, I um, I actually knew a pair of twins in high school, and one of them, she got hit by a car. Actually, that's so sad. Yeah, I don't. It's I can't I can't imagine losing a family member at all. I've been very privileged in that aspect, where all of my immediate family and my I guess my first layer of extended family, they're all still alive at this point. So I've been very blessed. Great grandparents, yeah. But as a result of Alexis's disappearance, her family has worked with a lot of organizations and done a lot of campaigns to raise awareness of the dangers that young women face, including the Roanoke-based Help Save the Next Girl. Help Save the Next Girl was a was an organization that Morgan Harrington, one of the women who went missing with the jesse matthew case her mother and father established that organization i believe oh i love when i mean i don't love when somebody dies but when uh living family members after someone passes away or is like brutally murdered and they turn the situation into something where they can like where they can help others help other people i think that is so amazing I wish that so many people are made aware of like these campaigns and these fundraisers and the scholarship and the organizations Mm -hmm. because they're truly such amazing things that I love that they can take a terrible, awful, horrible situation and turn it around to think about other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that requires a whole lot of strength because I don't like not everybody can do that everybody reacts to grief in a different way but to take your grief and put it towards helping other people that's otherworldly if you ask me i love the face you i I just i I couldn't think of like the word i wanted (laughs) i was just like i don't anyway wait did we talk about how her body was found so 
The only thing that I was able to find was that Randy Taylor led investigators to a private property where her body was found. And then he just decided to... Uh... Yeah, it's funny because Anthony Martin, who was the former um, Commonwealth attorney, he wouldn't make a deal with him. And then the current one also said he wouldn't have made a deal with him. So they don't really know what changed his mind, like why he decided to finally... Probably found God, like they all do. Yeah, probably. He didn't make any sort of deal whatsoever. The only thing he had done is he had signed some paperwork to move him from one facility to another, but it wasn't like a deal necessarily. It was just like moving him because that that happens with prisoners a lot where it's like it's not a deal they just like changed his house I, I, I mean that's essentially what it is well okay so yeah he got the cell that was in the middle of the left row and got moved <laughs> to the cell that was in the middle of the right row okay so um this is something I did a lot of research on when I was in my master's level program but I mean people probably are aware of this as well um the American criminal justice system is overflowing with people. The prisons and jails are overcrowded. So prisoners are constantly moved to wherever they can really like house them. <laughs> so I think I think it was more so just that and not like, oh, I'm going to move you into this lesser security prison if you tell us what the information was, you know. Yeah, because another quote from the old Commonwealth attorney, um, when he said like he wasn't going to make a deal to find out where Alexis's body was and why they were charging him with murder, even though they didn't have a body, was we should not reward a person by not charging them with murder just because they are good at hiding the body. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that attorney should have that buried on his gravestone. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Oh, that's a good quote. It is a very good quote. All that to say, I... I'm glad that there was some closure on this case. I hate that this had to happen at all to Alexis because she was so young. I think back to when I was 17, like she had her whole life ahead of her. There was so much that she could have done. Yeah, I don't even remember when I was 17. Yeah, it's just it's so young. It, it boggles my mind that anybody. Oh, she didn't even graduate high school. Yeah, she was about to go into her senior year of high school. So that's so sad. Yeah. Senior year was the best year <laughs> for some. Um, I wrote down some of my personal thoughts about about Randy Taylor. <laughs> so your personal thoughts. This is this is where we're going to insult him a little bit because uh, I can. <laughs> because we can and it's our opinion and everybody has one like everybody has an asshole. <laughs> Okay, so when people said that he, uh, <laughs> what can you not think? Yeah, I, I had to. I had to think about what I was. What I was trying to say. It's fine. Reese trying to think if she should finish her ice cream right now. I know it's it's slowly melting, and I'm just like, <sighs> anyway, shove it in your face. I, I will. Okay. I'm almost done. It's fine. Um, <laughs> okay, so people were describing Randy Taylor as be making them uncomfortable. And like when you look at a picture of him, you can die with a stupid Donald Duck neck tattoo. Daffy Duck. Wrong oh. duck. <laughs> Wrong channel. Don't don't slander Donald that way. <laughs> like any of the ducks. Um I like Daffy wait. Is Daffy the one with the is Daffy the black duck? Yeah, Daffy's the black duck from the Looney Tunes. With oh yeah. I love Daffy. Wait. Daffy's the one that always fights with the, <laughs> with the Martian, right? Yes. So okay. 
All right. So uh, if you look at a picture of him, you can see why, because like I mentioned to Britt, he looks like the Crypt Keeper. Like he's just very wiry and like it's it's hard to explain. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, he's he is. Uh, I don't know. He he just he looks like. Like he's been up three days straight. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> like his eyes are like bulging out of his head and it's just, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, and then I forgot to mention this earlier, but um, the owner of a local porn shop recognized Taylor when police circulated that surveillance image when they were initially trying to figure out who that guy was. So that should say something. Not saying that if you shop at a porn store, you're automatically a murderer or a creepy person, but... Wait, is like a porn store the same as a sex shop? I don't know. I would assume they're similar, but I think I'm assuming a porn store is like mostly sell porno videos. I've only been into one sex shop and that was for a bachelorette party and I wanted to get out very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I did not want to be in there. Not that it's weird. But like for me, it's weird. Yeah. Well, I I'd gone into one. I think it was like a an Adam and Eve store or something. So it was one of those like I guess more like we have a boutique um, ones. (laughs) Yeah, that one sounds like it would be a little bit more intense. (laughs) And then Spencer's in the mall. Oh God, Spencer's. Yeah, I remember being in. I remember being in high school and wandering into that store because I didn't know what it was. And that, that wait, hold on. I was allowed to go in it, but I could only be in the front half, <laughs> and I could only be in the half with the t-shirts. I couldn't go to where like the drug paraphernalia. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't go in the. Back. Yeah, I didn't know what that store was, and I was the Either. I was the designated driver of my high school friends because I got my license in sophomore Bray year. Bray is the designated mom friend. <laughs> Nobody knows. Basically, well, because I I was a year older than all my friends because uh, I had to do kindergarten twice. That's a <laughs> okay. So it's not funny. <laughs> kindergarten twice. Okay, so it's not because I was stupid. It's because I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> It's because I wasn't social. And so my parents decided, because we lived in Germany at the time, they decided to put me into a German kindergarten to kind of... No wonder you weren't social. You can't speak German. No, no, the first time I was in in English school on the base, but I was very polite where I was just like, I just wanted to keep doing what I was doing, you know? Like, it would be like, the teacher would be like, do you want to join us for for, uh, story time? And I'd be like, no, thank you. I'm okay. And then I'd just go back to what I was doing. So You're an introvert. Exactly. And so... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so then they put me in a German kindergarten because they focus more on like social development than like on the learning, like meeting specific like curriculum or whatever. Yeah. Also, because my mom, she's French and she grew up in a region of France that um, spoke. Your mom's French? (laughs) Yes. I feel like I've mentioned this before. (laughs) I don't know. You probably. (laughs) So she's French. She grew up in the Alsace region, which is right on the border of France, Germany, and Switzerland. Like, wait, did your mom and dad meet when they were when he was in the military? No, she did a semester abroad um, because she was. That's how it always happens. Yeah, she was on. She was on a track to do a translation or something like that, and so she had to do a semester in an English-speaking country. And so her and a friend picked. Um, going to Texas Tech of all places. <laughs> Texas Tech. Yeah, and that's where my parents I've never are. even heard of it. It's uh well, I mean it's in Texas, so that's all you really oh need to know. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so this my mom, she grew up in that region. Like you literally walk to the end of my grandparents' driveway and you look to the right and like maybe a five minute walk is the border to Switzerland. Like you can see it from there from their driveway. Anyway, so in that region 
it had kind of gotten passed back and forth during all of these wars between French and German rule. So they speak a dialect that's a mix of German and French. So all that to say, they put me into this German kindergarten because they thought I would pick up on the German language and learn that a little bit more. <laughs> and what I ended up doing was I found the two kids who spoke English and I stuck with them. So... <laughs> This conversation didn't just show you how how ADHD my brain is. <laughs> I don't know what will. Anyway, so, so back to whatever. <laughs> so back to Randy Taylor. Um, why did we even start talking? <laughs> um, were we talking about Daffy? No, it was we were talking about the porn shops, and then I. <laughs> Oh, 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 the guy at the porn shop. No, no. Okay, so we were talking about that. Um, I was the designated mom friend. I was a year older because I had to repeat kindergarten. There we go. I finally made my way back. <laughs> I never find my way back. So fussy. <laughs> so, okay. So I was the designated mom friend because I was a year older than all my friends. So I got my license um, a year before then. So I went to Spencer's because I didn't know any better. <laughs> Basically, like my friends and I, we would go to the mall by ourselves. So it's... <laughs> So it's not, yeah, it's not like we had like adult supervision with us. So I walk into Spencer's and it was a very, it was a culture shock. Let's just. <laughs> it was a culture shock for me too. But Hot Topic was a culture shock for me. And when I was in fifth grade, that's when the Vampire Diaries came out. And um, so I walked in there because I wanted a Vampire Diaries t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is this? Where is the t-shirt? And I wanted it in black and they only had it in white. And I was really upset. So I told my mom and my mom had to order it for me. But then she ordered the wrong size of the whole thing anyways back to the porn shops <laughs> okay so anyway yeah the local porn shop guy recognized him so he must have been a regular if, you, if you're able to get recognized by the owner of the porn shop he's got a distinctive look yeah but even still like if he recognizes you enough to know your name <laughs> when they're looking for who this person is oh yeah that's randy taylor yeah like, that's a little sketch. Him trying to claim that he didn't murder Alexis, but then at the last minute changing his story when he's about to be sentenced, being like, hey, if you give me a lighter sentence, then I'll tell you where she is. It's like, bitch boy. <laughs> I'm also wondering how he didn't think that would hurt his appeals. Probably doesn't think this dude's murdering That's people. true. Well, and this, the thing is, too, is that like his defense attorney also had proposed this deal, I think, a little bit before well, the sentencing trial, too. Well, he said it first yeah he, he had poor legal representation yeah. but it's just gonna like why would you say that you're innocent but i happen to know where the body is like how does that work bro because like even if you didn't kill her like you're claiming you didn't and you happen to know where her body is you're still an accessory to murder yeah because now you know where it's buried exactly <laughs> so you still would have gotten jail time. <laughs> well, not jail time, prison time, whatever. Anyway. It was thinking like old because I think he would be dead by the time 20 years. He, I think he's in his 50s now because at the time, I think in 2013, he it said he was 49. Oh, he would have been 60 when, oh, he would have been 70 when he got out if he got 20 years. Yeah, but thankfully that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> Um, one thing that I think really warmed my heart as I was reading all of this, like this major tragedy happened, but 
in the process, the community came around Alexis's family and supported them. I know, that's so cute. Because I was looking at some of the posts on that Find Alexis uh, Facebook page, and there's still like over a thousand people who like the page. And Aww. over the last couple of years, the family would make birthday posts for Alexis and things like that. <gasps> and so it was just really heartwarming to see that they had so much support from the community around them because having a support system at all I think is vital to being able to get over grief. Yeah. You never totally get over it. No, but you know how to deal with it. Yeah. Like some days are better than others, but the fact that they have support from the people around them and then like her brothers, I think are, I think one of them graduated pretty recently, like a couple of years ago. So it's like, yeah, they have other things to celebrate. And it's good to see that the family didn't necessarily let this stop their life so to speak. Yeah, they just learned how to deal with it and not move on, but like continue going. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're also not letting her death and what happened to her go to waste because they're actively participating in these other organizations and advocating for increased vigilance on the part of people in the area about things like this. And yeah, I don't know. It's... I think that that's a really powerful thing to be able to take a personal tragedy like this and turn it into something good. If you would like to make a donation on behalf of Alexis to help save the next girl, you can do that at helpsavethenextgirl.com slash donate. We will put the link in the bio of this episode. Yeah, I mean, that's really the ins and outs of the case from what I was able to glean in the last 24 hours. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm a procrastinator at best. I mean, you're, you're talking to the person who is uh, procrastinating everything right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> I did do some work earlier today, so that's, that's why this ice cream is my reward. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We know that things kind of <laughs> didn't go as according to plan as we had hoped, but... Uh, and we're still going to do... Oh, wait, you don't know. Never mind. <laughs> you don't know what case I was going to do, so yeah. I'm still going to do that case, but I, you don't know what case that is. <laughs> it's still going to get done. It's just going to get done later. <laughs> later than we anticipated. In a larger part. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we hope that you enjoyed this. This one, I wanted to focus more on the victim and not as much on Randy Taylor. So there might not have been as much witty banter as we had in our last episode, but trust us, it's not going anywhere. If you like closed captions or you have a hard time hearing us or you have a hearing impairment, on our YouTube channel, we post all episodes with closed captions. Yes. So, what is our YouTube name? Um, <laughs> so, we don't have a specific channel URL just because you need to have, I think, it's like at least 100 subscribers or something like that to get one. Oh, 100 of you subscribe and we will get a URL. Yes, please, because right now I'm the only subscriber, so... <laughs> So you can find us, I think, by just searching Shockingly Wicked Podcast. It should pop up. If it doesn't, then I'm going to shout at Google for a little bit. Like I shouted, I shouted at Apple today. Yeah. Our Apple listeners, we got your back. We <laughs> told them. So, well, I didn't tell them anything. Bree told them. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you might have noticed that there was a glitch <laughs> where our podcast episodes just kind of disappeared. <laughs> Wait, you're, <laughs> you know that just the beaver line and he's in the interviewer's like ha 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 and he goes I like your laugh <laughs> <laughs>
You're allowed to me think of it. It now. Woo, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to go find that. <laughs> I'll send it to you after. Please do. Um, I'm going to send it to you. Yes. So you might have noticed that there was a glitch that removed our episodes. They should be back now. Um, I reached out to Apple support and I was like, hey, what gives? (laughs) Because we distribute our podcast through Anchor, as you already know. And Anchor says it should take up to 10 business days, I think, for it to show up on all of the platforms. Um, However... They lied. <laughs> we still haven't gotten any official confirmation that our podcast is up on Apple Podcasts. Like, I know it's there because I've listened to it on there. And so is my sister and a couple other people. I think uh, Anchor's distribution thing has it at like 30% of people have listened to it on Apple Podcasts. So we know it's there, but we still have no official confirmation. We can't really access any analytics or anything from it. So that's really annoying. Anyway, all that to say, I yelled at Apple, so hopefully it shouldn't have any issues going forward. Well, bye. (laughs) Okay, so you can find us on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. On Facebook, we have a Facebook group, Shockingly Wicked Podcast. What is our TikTok, Brit? It was just Shockingly Wicked? Yeah. Yes. So you can find us on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. That's where we're going to post like bloopers and things that might not make the cut in the podcast. And if you want to shout out in a future episode, leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on one of the social media pages and we'll pick a couple of our random followers, subscribers, listeners um, to shout out and to send a very happy email because I'm famous now. (laughs) And then like I said on YouTube, you should just be able to search up Shockingly Wicked Podcast and find us. We have all of these links in our bio on our Instagram page. Check it out because I paid money for it. (laughs) I didn't know that. It's okay. Is it the Linktree thing? It's uh, called Solo. But yes, it's essentially the same thing. But it looks so much nicer. So go check it out if you haven't already. Repaid money. Yes. So go check it out. I've I've been investing in this podcast because I know it's going to succeed because we're we're fabulous. We're funny. <laughs> and happy gay pride month. Yes, yes, happy pride month to everybody. <laughs> Not to everybody. I mean, to the people that it applies to. (laughs) Terms and conditions apply. Thank you guys again for listening. We appreciate your feedback. So if you would like to give us some case suggestions, you can reach out either through DMs on Instagram or you can shoot us an email at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. I believe you can also leave a voice message through Anchor. So leave us some reviews let us know what you're thinking we love to interact with you guys so yeah we love you guys we love all of you (laughs) yes there's there's a lot of love to go around um i'm not in the singing mood though because my uh (laughs) the roof of my mouth hurts because i have allergies Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It just it if I sound a little stuffed up, that's what that's what's happening today. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We're gonna head on out okay, now. Bye. <laughs> bye guys. <laughs>